0: So today we uh, are going to chapter 9. Uh, I've slightly changed the, the words here when I've been introducing. We have a midah, we define the midah. Then we speak how to possess a midah. That's all literal translation. And I call it retaining, uh, Ramchal calls it mafzideh, mafzideh hazehirut, has, mafzide has result, meaning these are the things that stop you being able to do the midah, uh, and obviously I, I'm looking at it in a more positive way, meaning these are the things that if you're aware of them, you'll be able to retain the midah, but uh, literally these are mafsiday. what is the mafzideh as result, what is the reason as to why uh, we, we we do not... Uh, apply adopt this midah of zealousness enthusiasm and uh, uh, the approach here is going to be obvious but ramkel told us these are things we know He name of side has result heim heim magdilei hasla laziness va hagadol shebekolam hu Bakashat krachat hagufit vesinat hatorah and as I say, our point here isn't to be mechadesh, but to remind. So we have to spend a bit of time on this. It's this constant need that we, we have to rest and that we hate being troubled by things and our love of luxury. So let, let's take this step by step. It, it, it is a function of our lives. It is a function of our reality, uh, that, that this is a major problem that we have to deal with that didn't exist at least to the same degree until recent decades, uh, but it, it, it wasn't the case. Uh, it clearly wasn't the case in, in the last century, at least the first half of the last century before the war. It started to change in the years after the Second World War. Um, but um, the bakashat hamunucha uh, uh, and the preparedness to pay anything to do something easily um, is a machala. It's a problem that we have, uh, and I'll try to explain. In the past, when the notion of avodat Hashem was being discussed, it wasn't the, the notion of avoda, of working hard of making an effort wasn't foreign. To the people who were listening to it why because their regular lives were hard people had hard lives you know in many houses in England before the second world war the the lavatory was outside the house if someone got up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom they had to go outside if it was raining <coughs> excuse me if it was raining they had to go outside um, and someone needs to go to the bathroom, right, it means you have to put your coat on, and you have to put your shoes on, and you have to go outside to go to the bathroom. Uh, if you needed water in a Polish village, uh, this this was an experience I had, I was once in a ride, I can't remember how this happened, but I was in a ride with Rabbanit Lichtenstein, who is of course the daughter of uh, Rav Soloveitchik Zatzal, and um, we stopped at i don't i don't know how this happened or why i was in the car whether i got in at that stage as well uh, she stopped at the Trempiada in gilo to pick up anyone who wanted to go to alonchevut which is where we both live and um there are two entrances to alonchevut there is the new entrance which is quite near tsometagush and there's the old entrance which is which is the original entrance to Alon which is quite near the yeshiva buildings and the Kolel buildings. And she stopped. I, I presume I got in there because I don't think I got in anywhere beforehand. And uh, she asked if there's anyone else for Alon Shvurt. And the, she got a question in response to her question, which was, are you going to the new entrance or the old entrance? And uh, I live quite near uh, the Lichtenstein family. And she said, no, I'm going through the new entrance and the response of the of the trempis was okay i'll wait for someone else and Rabbanit lichtenstein went ballistic uh, she, she for the i think for the next 20 minutes uh, on the way home throughout the traffic it was it was nice for me to hear the day and it's always nice to hear a bit of history but she couldn't believe it she couldn't believe that you know the distance in Allonge-Fut, Many of you have been to Arnold Short. between the old entrance and the new entrance, probably a 15-minute walk if, if you walk in a relaxed way. If you walk, like my wife, you could probably do it in 10. There are shortcuts, you know, you don't, you do, you don't go as the crow flies. You, you, you go as the crow flies. You can cut through. You don't have to drive if you're not driving, obviously. And and she couldn't believe it. She couldn't believe that someone was prepared to wait for another 10, 15, maybe 20, 30 minutes for someone else to pull up because they couldn't be bothered to walk from her house to wherever they had to get to in the yeshuv. And, and uh, what was interesting to me, of course, was she, she spoke about her mother, uh, Rav Soloveitchik's wife, who as a child used to have to walk a number of kilometers every day to get water in a bucket from the river in order to use that water for basic things. Water that we just open up a, a tap and the water comes out press a button and the water comes out, uh, generally hot water and cold water at our will, uh, we have no idea what it is, right? To, to, you need to have a wash uh, and you, 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 you schlep to to the river to get the you water. Know, when we come to the nine days as we're headed, unfortunately for the nine days and we had these restrictions of washing um, and the discussion here is a halachic discussion is what kind of washing is really a soul. and it's pretty clear I think that that if you're dirty you're physically dirty of course you're allowed to wash uh, but the washing the halacha was initially referring to was the luxurious washing people didn't bathe um, in 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 that way on on a daily basis because they didn't have the wherewithal to do it, uh, which means life was hard uh, until the middle of the 20th century for the majority of people, certainly for the Jews of Europe and the Jews in Taiman uh, the Jews of Morocco. Life was hard. People lived in, in hard situations. They lived in small houses. Uh, so often you hear these stories in, in Poland of houses that just burned down, not because there was a pogrom, but because they were made of wood. They were shacks and they, they were open for disaster, and people were living in each other's houses. You read the Toldot of the Chafetz we you see how often this happened in his community, and people were poor. They worked long hours. They, they didn't press a button for everything. So in those days, when you turn around to a, a, a Yid, and you say to the Yid, you've got to do Avodat tashem, the, the notion of Avodah wasn't wasn't foreign to them. Right? They had to get up early anyway. They didn't get up at nine, ten o'clock in the morning. they they were farmers. They had to get up and, and they worked with the sun. Okay, So even in the winter, the sun comes up, 7, eight, seven, eight o'clock in Europe. They, that's the latest they could possibly get up and they probably got up earlier than that. Uh, they, were, they, were, they were living by the sun and working hard and grafting. And the halacha comes and says, or Musa comes and says, or Machshava comes and says, you've got to do Avodat Hashem. This wasn't a foreign thing for them oh now what has happened now in our generation things have become a lot easier anything you want you can google all right. You have a question about something, you have a query, you don't have to look up a, a encyclopedias are null and void, everything you want, you just, you just put it into Google and, and play around with a computer for a couple of minutes and you get a result. Uh, there are applications for most things, right? If just to pay a bill, just to pay a bill, you simply just have to go online, fill in a few details and press send and it's done. You don't have to go to the post office and, and with cash for certain bills because they don't take checks. And you, you don't have to do any of that. You just have to go online and pay the bill. Uh, you want to make a reservation for a place, you just go online. You, don't, you hardly need travel agents anymore. Everything is done at, at the click of a finger. So, so things have become... This, this, is, this is a... Um, superficial reality which i hope to explain in a moment or so things have become relatively easy so when the torah now comes and says the same thing it's always said is you have to do our you have to work for a relationship with akadosh baruch you have to work to be oved hashem we know what it's talking about because there is no application for ahavat hashem there is no application for yirat hashem there's no, there's no quick way to, to serve God. And if you try and do it a quick way, you will not serve God. If you try and daven quickly, then you will be disappointed by davening because it, it will be exactly what it is, quick davening. If you, if you don't have bread, not because you, you're, you're, you have a, you're a celiac, uh, not because you have some dietary position, but the only reason you don't eat bread in a meal is so that you don't have to bench then what do you expect of your avodat Hashem? What, what do you expect? And uh, what's the difference between a, a good benching and a, and a ridiculous benching? It's a matter of two or three minutes of just taking a bit more time over the words, trying to concentrate, trying to focus. But because we don't have to do that in so many areas of our life. Now, why do I say it's superficial? Because it's not true. Beca- because, it, because in regular life, uh, it's not easy either. Meaning there will never be, and I say this with absolute confidence, 100% confidence. I don't say many things with 100% confidence, uh, but, but I do say this. That, that there will never be a time where there is an application that will enable you to be happily married. There will never be a time where there is an application, an app. An app, sorry, I'm not meant to say an application, an app. People don't know what I'm talking about as an application. I don't even know why I say application. There will never be an app that enables you to be happily married. There will never be an app that teaches you how to bring up your children. There'll never be an app that helps you confront your real issues. These things will never change. On the front, it appears to us that things are more simple in the world because because that's our, our day-to-day experience with the technicalities of life, that things seem to be easier. But they're not really easier. However, the problem arises when it comes to Avodah Tashem, because because we don't have the Zitzleish to do it anymore. And this comes, and, and I, I'm as guilty as everyone else. You ask me, when was the last time you got a bus? I don't get buses, right? I, I don't even get cabs, I drive, right? I, I have a car. Uh, and Baruch Hashem, I don't have to contemplate it. Now, Now uh, it's not something I, I would want to give up, but but I am aware of the fact that because of, this, um, because of this habit that I have got used to of always driving a car, I'm mufunak, I'm spoiled, right? So when I have to do something else and it's a problem, I resisted for a long time in our house, and I'll tell you why I gave up in the end, I resisted for a long time in our house to have a dishwasher. Uh, i didn 't quite understand the concept still don 't understand really the concept of a dishwasher because if you don 't want to break your dishwasher you have to you have to clean the dishes a bit before before putting them into the machine, otherwise the the food is going to block the machine and um, and uh, and then after it 's finished, you have to you have to take the stuff out and put it away so my rationale was always and still is so let me just wash up and i'll dry and put away finished because how much more time is it going to take it doesn't take much more time you've got to you've got to rinse the, the the plate before you put it in the machine afterwards you've got to take it out and put it away so i may as well just do the whole thing uh, the the winning argument, the clinching argument, of course, that my wife had was, well, you're never home to do this stuff. So, uh, so the few times you're home to do this, stuff, so you can get me a dishwasher. So we have a chalavi dishwasher. We don't have a basari dishwasher. We don't use a dishwasher for the same for the same for chalavi or basari. Uh, and uh, that's what we had. But a washing machine was never a question for me, right? Because a washing machine, the nafkam in between, a washing machine cleaning clothes and hand cleaning the clothes. You can never hand clean clothes properly. Uh, in the time that a washing machine can do it uh, and effectively using the stain stuff or whatever for what you need sort of certain things that, that have become um, very very useful but now we reach what, what is incredible it, it, it's an incredible paradox and worthy of your attention and my attention we we should have a lot more time today right? Because when Avramavina was coming from Gush et Sion to Yerushalayim, it took him a number of days to do it. I presume he stopped or maybe a day, maybe two days. I can do it even with bad traffic in an hour. And uh, if I wanted to cross the seas and I, I had to get to America for whatever reason, so I can do that in 12 hours. I don't need to get on a boat and it's going to take me a couple of months or a couple of weeks to get to uh, America. So, we we are on paper saving a lot of time. Yet, people before us, not just giants, but people before us, seem to be even though their time was consumed with a lot of technical things, they seem to have achieved a lot more. The Chofetz Chaim wrote his book, and he wrote it pen on paper, and then had to get it printed, and then had to get it sold, and he went round on a wagon. So it says in Toldot the Chaim, he went around on a wagon selling the book. You, you know how much the Rambam wrote. And uh, Rambam wrote this uh, centuries ago without a computer, without cut and paste, uh, without a keyboard. I don't suppose ink was so obviously available for him. I suppose paper was. I, I know I'm just giving you examples of giants, but I can give you other examples. I had a Rebbe when I was a child who was uh, a, not just a young teenager who was, um, whose Rebbe was a Chofetz Chaim. And uh, he told me the game that he played when he was a kid, and this was, he, he was a Tamid Chacham, but this seems to have been the group of people he was around uh, back in Eastern Europe. It was putting your finger on a word in a Masechet, and then being able to, to tell you every word underneath that finger, every daf underneath that finger. Not candy crump, not temple plump, that's what they used to do. So when we're prepared to pay anything, right, you, you, what, what you can pay, you, you know, this saved us in Kiev when we were coming back with Shanabet this year. It saved us in, P- in Kiev, this, this service, but, but there are some people, not older people, older people need it sometimes, younger people. There's something called VIP at the airport. Essentially, you get to the airport, you pay someone and they just take you through they take you through very, very quickly. They've, they've got this agreement, they go to the front of the line, and they'll, they'll get your bags through, you skip every line there is. And in Kiev, as I said, it saved us last November when we were coming back with the uh, Shalabet. We, we, we got to the airport five minutes before the flight and we were on the flight. Uh, and so sometimes it's a, it's a, it's a saver, otherwise we would've got sat there for Shabbos. But but, uh, but generally people are prepared to pay extra for, for everything. And, um, and so you'll say, well, if you've got it, well, why do you care? Uh, and I, I haven't got it, so whatever. But if you have it, so why do you care? Always paying for the extra, paying for the extra. There's nothing wrong in that, but one has to be at least aware of what this does to you as a person. That if you, if you get used to getting everything without any effort, then you have to understand that this affects who you are. And this has affected our learning. And, and I know what I'm about to say is debatable, and I, and I understand both sides of the argument. But you understand, when I, when I went to yeshiva, there were no art scrolls, there were no Steinsaltzes. The only English translation of the Talmud was a Sonsino translation. So it only helps you if you're very good at English or you knew a bit of Latin. Uh, and, and we sat in yeshiva with a Vilna Shas and a, a, a dictionary called Marcus Jastrow Dictionary and looked up every word. And it wasn't so easy, because the dictionary is based on the roots. We had no idea. We had no idea about Hebrew. We certainly had no idea about Aramaic, so you have to know the root of the word. And I spent the first months in yeshiva, Mamish looking up every single word. Uh, Today, you see it in regular yeshivas. You even see teachers in the yeshivas uh, preparing shir with a schottenstein. It's a brilliant piece. And this is where I I have a dilemma, right? Because, Because when I was a kid, the only... English Hebrew book that existed for me uh, that I was aware of. Uh, Art school had just begun, and they had done a series on the Chamesh Megilot. And I, if I'm correct, they had their, their next next one I saw out was Yechezkel. But if you wanted anything else, you had to know Hebrew. You had to struggle with the text. But now you yeah, get anything in English. So you'll say to me, "But the icker is to the Ica is to know the content of the, of, of the limud." Uh, so to a degree you're correct, but, but you're not entirely correct. Why are you not entirely correct? Because every translation is, is also a subjective translation, right? Every translation of, a, of an original text... Is not the original text, it's the opinion of the translator, the way the translator understands. Here, we're learning Mr. Shine, and you're learning according to David Milson. And David Milson could be totally off, off target, and, and that's it, you know. So what I say, you have to be able to open up the text. That, that's the difference as a teacher between teaching a shear a, a where students have to prepare... When a student has to prepare the sources, the student—if the student does what they're meant to have done—they walk into shi. And when you give a shi, the, the entire level of the shi should be a high level. Why? Because I'm speaking to a student who's also looked at the text, so they have the ability to turn around to me and say, "I don't think you're correct. This isn't how I understood Rashi. This isn't how I understood the Ramban." The minute you're using translations to a large degree, that is out of the door, and you are at the. Uh the whim of uh, of the hashgach, of the Hashgah, of the person or the people who've written the book. And you might not know otherwise. Again, I'll give you an example. This isn't critique, I'm just explaining the reality. If a person doesn't know Hebrew and they open up Shir Hashirim, the art scroll Shir Hashirim, the only thing they're going to see. The translation is not a translation. Art Scroll have taken Chazal's interpretation of Shir Hashirim, which is a relationship between Am Yisrael and HaKodesh Baruch Hu, and unless they've changed it recently, to the best of my knowledge, the entire perush that is given there is essentially um, a Midrashic perush. Now, of course, that's legitimate, but you should know the, the, the literal translation of Shir Hashirim. HaKodesh Baruch Hu didn't... He wrote it using uh, a relationship between a man and a woman, uh, and and this was written by Ruach Hakodesh with a certain point being made. And to ignore that point and just learn the midrash without learning the original source is unheard of. I had this experience once, many many years ago. I was in the first year of my smicha. I was learning with a, uh, a now very famous rabbi in Israel, Rabbi Benny Lau, and um, I told him what you know. He comes from a family of. Uh, of Ravlau, who was a Ravlau and Pietrikov. We went to the shore there, went to Poland, and uh, his father was a survivor. His grandfather was murdered in Treblinka. And uh, we were discussing on one occasion the Holocaust, and I wrote him, you know, I wrote a thesis when I was in, u- in university, when I was 22, 23. I wrote a, I wrote a thesis on uh, uh, physical resistance in Eastern Europe during the Holocaust. I think that was the title of the thesis. And he turned around to me and said, Oh, David, I didn't know you knew Polish. So I said, no, I don't know Polish. He said, you know Russian? So I said, I don't know Russian. He said, ah, so you know Yiddish? I said, no, I don't know Yiddish. I said, how is it possible that you wrote a, a, a legitimate academic work when you never read an original source? Obviously, every source in English about things that happened in the Holocaust, testimonies are, are translated. People didn't write in English. Uh, Everything was written, all all research, all records at the time were made either in German, Russian, uh, Yiddish or Polish, definitely not English. How can you do an academic work without learning it in its original form? And the exact same is with learning. So you see that this, is, this has crept into our limud as well. Uh, you know, a person can come to yeshiva, and bar- again, I have mixed feelings about this, because Baruch Hashem, you know, you can learn Orachayim in English, you can learn Kliyaka in English, you can even learn Atibot Shalom in English. Uh, everything's in English, which on the one hand is fantastic. On the other hand, Amal v'torah, the amelut of Torah, the struggling with the original text is not happening. And, and, and therefore, and people will pay anything for it, and you do, you have to pay more, right? You, could, you can buy an almost amount of Sifre Kodesh for 200 shekel if they're all in Hebrew. You start buying uh, the English translations, you you can buy about half of that amount, uh, and people are prepared to pay for that, and people are prepared for other people to do their work for them. Now, now this is a problem. Uh, this, is, this is positive laziness, but, but it's a problem, right? Because real avodat Hashem, when we're talking about in the result of motivation, of driving oneself to do something in a real way, then, then laziness or, or looking for shortcuts is not the way to do it. It's not the way to do it. And um, it's something I, I'm not suggesting, not for one minute, that we should uh, become amish and uh, get rid of electricity and, and live in that way. I think there are advantages to that. I think uh, uh, it was a, a, an important part of my education, the fact that I uh, wrote letters to my mother and I wasn't looking at my machine every day for another message and this message and that message, and I wasn't on WhatsApp groups. I think it was a positive part of my upbringing. And I, I don't regret it for a minute. I have no regrets that we didn't grow up with all of this stuff. On, on the contrary, a uh, lover of soccer that, that I was, had soccer been available for me when I was 18, 19, like it is for people today, I don't think I would have ever learned any Torah. Uh, soccer, cricket, whatever it was, tennis, I, I just love sport, watching, watching sport. Okay, not a very good performer of sport. Uh, and if I'd have been... Uh, living in that generation where, where you can just download movies and watch movies when I was addicted to television. I don't know whether I would have achieved anything at all in life. I don't know what I have achieved in life, but, but I don't think I would have achieved anything at all. Um, I'm not suggesting we go back in time, but we have to be aware. We have to be aware that we, we, are, we are growing up with a lot of less zitzfleisch but life, the real requirements of life... The real achievements of life will never require less zitzvah. The important things in life will never require less less effort and less motivation. If it's bringing up your children, if it's marriage, if it's working on yourself, if it's being zarizb it's, it, it's not going to work. And again, the, this zman of idunim, which is incredible, you know, the way most of us live and when most of us are not rich people, but compared to the way people lived in Eastern Europe, Eastern Europe the example I have give because I'm Ashkenazi, but I'm sure it's true in Morocco and Taman and Spain and so on and so forth. Compared to them, we, we are all lords. We're all kings and queens in the way that we live uh, because the, the reality surrounding us is so accommodating, uh, but it's superficial because life is not accommodating. And this is a problem. And this is, this is, uh, the resort. We, we we you immediately imagine laziness means me sitting on my bed and uh, putting my feet up. But that's not the only. That's the extreme definition of laziness. But uh, but there are other forms of laziness that, that uh, we, we, we just can't push ourselves. We're not, we're not we, you know, I have to have my parking in the rover. I, I need a parking in the rover. I'm not going to schlep and walk 25 minutes every day. Some of the other teachers do, right? But, but there are things that you get used to. And you say you excuse yourself. It's in order that I become more uh, efficient and I'm more available. Uh, and then you have to check with yourself. Is this a rationale? Is this true or is it not true? Uh, in Israel, you know, part of the, the advantage of having to serve in the army besides being a Maccabee and fulfilling a dream, in addition to all of these things, is the fact that the kids are educated in the army, because you can't fight a war with luxuries, right? You can't. Uh, you know, I often say, say to students, you know, when a student is feeling a bit tired, she has to go and lie down, or she's got a headache, so she wants to see the doctor, you can't do this in the army, right? If you have a shift, and you have a just a jeep drive, we have a 12 hour shift in the jeep you can't you can't say I'm a bit nauseous I need to lie down you're fighting you're fighting a war and uh, it's a regular security is part of that regular war that's been going on since before 1948 you can't you have no choice and and the fact that our children have to go through the army is of course challenging in many ways but at least it gives them an experience of such that the that eye doesn't work with applications, right? The, the, the training, basic training, is basic training. It has nothing. You can't do an application, You can't do an app. Sorry, applica- You can't do an app for this. Uh, so that's one of the main mafsidim here. And the other that he talks about is uh, is is the issue of rationale, the 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 way in which we rationalize. Uh, and we say this is a real problem and, and the, you say you're not feeling well or you need to go lie down or it's cold outside or it's hot outside. And the example I often bring in, Shior, which isn't relevant to most Americans, is it's certainly not relevant to most girls. In England, when we used to go to a soccer game, you know, uh, the weather in England, England is not known famously for good weather, Uh, rainy, wet, windy, uh, if not snow, hail, whatever, but but certainly a lot of rain, and uh, there are situations like that that a person, it's a Friday night in the winter and it's pouring with rain outside and the person will say, I'm not going, I'm not going to shul, I'll get pneumonia, and start quoting psukim, it's better to stay inside, it's more covered Shabbos. You've got all the rationales, you're quoting this Rambam, that Rambam, you've got all the rationales, so you're not going to shul. And comes the morning, it's the same thing, now it turned into snow. There's snow on the ground, I might slip, I might break my leg, da, da, da. This reason, that reason, the other reason. And you don't go to shore, you spend the whole Shabbos at home, you sing mirrors. You, you, you have kind of Kavana when you dab and you miss Torah. No, non-orah, but you nishmautin, come Sunday, there's a big game, there's a big game taking place Sunday afternoon and it's your team's playing. Oh, so i got to go, right? Now, Now, if it's soccer, or I think baseball, or American football, you have to sit outside, right? So no, I wrap up warm, I'll have a coat, I'll, have a, I'll put my woolly hat on, I'll have a scarf. So suddenly it's Bethsaida. Suddenly you're not worried about, <laughs> about you're not worried about your health, you're not quoting any Rambans, because the game is a game. And here only you know, and only I know, because no one can come and point at you from the outside, and no one has the right to be judgmental of you, but you have not just the right, but you, you must uh, look at yourself and try and ascertain whether when, when, when you really are looking after yourself or you're not looking after yourself. And, and often, and this he spends a bit of time towards the end of this period discussing this, people all people say that it's for my safety, it's for my health, and sometimes it is legitimate, it's, it's a real claim, and sometimes it's, a, it's an cut, it's shtuyot. You don't want to do something. You may, I've seen the most ridiculous things. Again, I work with human beings all the time, so it's not to say I don't have the same weaknesses, for sure I do, but I see them. It's easier to see them with other people. I had a girl many years ago, probably two decades ago. On the first day of school, she tripped on a, on a, uh, on a step in the Midrashah. She spilt coffee on her skirt. She came straight to me in my office. This is a sign from my Kodesh Baruchel that I need to go home. And I said, to her, I don't think so. I think it's probably a sign that you tripped on a step and you spilt the coffee. You just need to wash your skirt and everything will be okay. Uh, our minds work in peculiar ways, right, where we, we will give a rationale to back us up. And we have to be able to take a step back and be honest with ourselves. A person says that they, they, they're too tired to learn. So they go to their room, they're on their bed, and they start watching Netflix. So watch someone else. Watch Rabbi Biderman. Watch, uh, watch Rabbi Weinberger. Yeah, there's plenty of fury and Watch Rabbi YY. Uh, in, uh, in, in Lubavitch, there's plenty of things, I don't need to tell you, you know better than me, there are plenty of things that you can watch if, 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 if your head is hurting and you feel you can't read, and you need to lie down because your legs hurt, that's fine, okay, so you can, you can, you can learn, you can learn, today there's just no excuse, so what we have to do with this, the mafsid of, of Zrizut, is, is number one, the fact that we're spoiled, And then we're prepared to pay anything to get something. You know, there are things today to pay someone to go to the kotel for you, Uh, to to pay different. Can I say to Hillel, people get people get parnaso from that. I'll go to the kotel and pray for you. But it's I don't know. I I once made this comment to a student. It was. uh, a sarcastic English comment and was not understood, it doesn't matter, but she, she was, I don't know why she even shared this with me, but she said to me, you know, I, I need you to know, I just want to know this fantastic thing in America that you can, there's a place you can go and, and you can order the food and the film and then bring it to your house. So I said to her, you're not going to understand it either. I said, well, why, why don't you pay them a little bit more? They can eat the food and they can watch the film and you can go to bed. And she kind of looked at me questioning, you know, what what, in heaven's name are you talking about? My point was that that if you're talking about Western culture, uh, the point of going to a film isn't necessarily just to see the film. The point was to go out. But, but, But now, and I'll pay for this, pay for that, pay for the other, and they'll do it all for me. So don't do it at all. Spend your whole life in bed and pay other people to live your life. I mean, that's the problem of television as well, isn't it? That we people who, who love or are addicted to television and films, they prefer to watch stories about other people's lives than live life themselves. It's much easier to sit in an armchair and watch the drama in someone else's life than, than live your life and achieving your life. I would rather... I suppose it's a bit ecocentric, but I'd rather someone made a film about me for positive reasons than, than spend my time watching other films. In the same way that I talk about Israel, I say I would rather be inside the picture than instead of taking a picture. I want to be part of it. I want I want my life to mean something. I want to i be able to look back. I'll never be able to say that I did everything that I could, but I want to know that I've used my time and I've used my time well. And I want to feel every day that I've used my time well. And some days I set time aside, especially this time of the year, I set time aside to, to let up a bit, to relax a bit, but only, I hope that's the reason, only in order to have the koach to start again. Come uh, all to start a new term again. And this is a challenge, this is a challenge that we have. And again, the other problem is, is being able to fathom ourselves and understand that when we rationalize and we give a reason why we cannot do something, why we're not able to fulfill something, that we're telling the truth to ourselves and we're not making up a a, a, a meister in order to, to um, get out of something. And always remember that, that you're not tricking anyone. Essentially, you're tricking yourself, you know. I say this to girls, and I say it with with the best of purposes. I say, you know, a, a person can, uh, they can tell me anything they want to tell me. At the end of the day, when I'm talking about a year, and it's your year. I did my year. I, and I had good moments and bad moments. the saha the call was very positive. It was a foundation to everything and anyone that I am today, for good or for bad. Uh, but you're doing your year now, so... Only you know if you're really nauseous. Only you know if you're I can't tell you. I'm not and I'm not, I'm not interested. I'm not interested in being judgmental of you, but but you have to be able to know with yourself when you're playing around and when you're telling the truth. I'm so tired, I'm so tired. Okay, so have a cup of coffee and get on with it. you don't have to go to sleep every time you're so tired. If you you're looking at your book and you're just falling asleep on your book, then clearly you need to take a nap. But only for 20 minutes, not, not for five hours, right? You don't have to go to bed for five hours. So this is this is this is this demands our contemplation. And at this stage we've 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 learned the the meter of Zahirut and Zrizut. In order to complete the first section of the walk, we're get, the first section of the book, we're going to go to Perek Yud, which is Nekyt, uh, Cleanliness, which is going to come and, uh, and uh, bring us towards the end of, of this mida. It's going to take us a bit of a, a while to do it. Um, and then if we achieve all of this, we will be considered Sadiqim. Have a good day.